Episode 3 of Adversity University. Today we are changing up a little bit and we're really excited to interview a unique athlete. He's in his 10th year caddying and has worked a total of 238 events highlighted by the LPGA, Latin Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, Champions Tour, and the PGA Tour, where he and his current player, Corey Connors, won the Valero Texas Open in 2019 after qualifying for the event on Monday of that week. Welcome to the show, Kyle Peters. Thank you guys for having me. Kyle, how are you? What have you been doing to stay busy during the quarantine? Uh, I started, uh, I got a PS4, so I started playing some uh, some games on there and watching Netflix and that's it. Haven't gone outside a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's what we're supposed to be doing, I guess. Yeah. So uh, getting back to that 2019 Valero Texas Open Championship. For the viewers who aren't familiar with golf, most Mondays on the PGA Tour, around 100 players gather at a course and compete in a Monday qualifier. They play an 18-hole tournament, and the four lowest scores get into that week's PGA Tour event. According to thegolfnewsnet.com, it's only the fifth time since 1980 that a Monday qualifier has won the event that Sunday on the PGA Tour. What was that week like in San Antonio, and how did you two stay composed to pull off such an underdog victory? Yeah, we, uh, that was awesome. We were, to be honest, we made like a 30-foot putt on the last hole of the Monday qualifier to get into the playoff. Um, I, didn't, I didn't even think four under was going to be good enough to get into the playoff, but uh, we had a six, a six players for one spot to get into the tournament. So uh, we got through that playoff and we're in the tournament. And honestly, we were just happy to be there, uh, happy to be playing that week. Um, and it, everything went really fast. He played played well Thursday and Friday and then on the weekend we found ourselves in the lead group and Sunday we won and next thing you know we're on a flight to Augusta so it was that was a really cool week. Nice. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So yeah. what was it like growing up in Charlestown South Carolina? Yeah it's uh it's a great spot here um there's tons of stuff to do um lots of good golf courses uh we've got a couple minor league sports teams um nightlife food it's uh we got beaches there's a lot of good stuff here so i love love living here love growing up here yeah that's awesome and then how did you get started in golf um my dad introduced me to the game probably when i was when i was really young five or six um growing up i also played baseball so uh, i got to high school and i had to kind of make a decision between golf and baseball and i stuck with golf and um yeah happy that uh, worked out the way it did <laughs> So when did you realize that you weren't going to make it in your career and decide to switch to caddying? Yeah, I, um, so I started caddying the summer after my freshman year in college. Um, I went to a junior college for two years and I played pretty well at those two years. Um, and then I transferred to Robert Morris university. And when I got to Robert Morris, I, um, I just wasn't playing good and 
that's when I realized I wasn't going to make it as a player. Um, and I had the whole caddy gig going. So before I graduated, I already knew what I was going to do. And um, yeah, it's been uh, 10 years now. Uh, what, so I guess getting into that process of becoming a caddy, um, what was it like in, you know, making the, it up to the PGA tour level? And, and then after that, what, what is a typical week like for you? Yeah, it was, um, it's definitely a grind to get out there. It used to be where you just show up in the parking lot and you could find a bag. And nowadays it's not like that. You really got to put some time in and get experience on the, on the lower tours before you work your way up there. Um, and I actually started, my first week was on the LPGA tour, um, but I actually went down and I worked on the Symmetra tour, which is uh, like one of the lowest levels that you can work at. Um, and I worked out there for a couple of years and made, made my mistakes out there and learned from those. Um, and then from there, moved on to the uh, web.com tour, the Corn Ferry tour. Um, worked out there for a bit and just kind of worked my way up to the PGA tour. So that's how I got there. Um, the normal week, um, I try to get there before Corey does and I'll go out and walk all 18 holes and, uh, see how the golf course looks. Uh, Tuesday, we normally always play 18 holes. Uh, Wednesday, there's a pro-am where you, the professional gets paired with, you know, three or four amateurs, uh, and you go out and play 18 holes again. Tournament starts Thursday. Uh, hope you hope you make the cut and play all week, and then Sunday night you fly on to the next city. So that's the normal work week. That's awesome. Yeah, I, saw, I saw you post something on your social media, one of your flip books with all the information you have on every hole and the distances and all that. How long does it take you to kind of compile a complete overview on a course? Yeah. Um, when I go out and I walk, I try – try my best to just stay by myself and not really talk to anybody and get distracted but I can I can normally walk all 18 holes in about three hours um it also kind of depends on if it's a new course if there's things that you don't have any notes on or things like that it could take up to four hours but it takes me about three hours normally so when you were a young caddy it's tough out there you're obviously not making a lot of money and flying back and forth can be expensive what are some of the ways that you tried to stay in it and really continue chasing your dream, even when those times were tough and it looked like, yeah, it looked like it I guess. Um, yeah. When I was right out of college, uh, working on like the, on the web.com corn fairy tour, you're not making much money out there. So like during the, the winter times, I would like deliver pizzas or just pick up some sort of side gig to keep me going. And uh, when the season kicked back up again, like, if my player would take a week off, I would just stay out there and work for somebody else just to kind of stay breaking even is how it is really when you're, when you're not on the PGA tour yet. So, yeah. Well, that's crazy. I mean, you talk about kind of a grind, I'm sure for a while that was really hard to go through. Um, like you said, not making a lot of money and having to find other jobs just to kind of get by. Uh, but obviously it worked out for you looking now, you know, obviously pretty successful in what you do and, have been doing it for a while. Um, so you've been playing with Corey for a while now. Um, what is the relationship like between a player and a caddy? And more specifically, do you give input on which clubs to use every shot or how often does a golfer rely on you for, for input? Right. Yeah. Um, every relationship's different. It just depends on, um, on your player's attitude. You know, 
what he's thinking on the golf course, it's it kind of almost turns into a psycho psychological role for the caddy. You just gotta kind of know what your player's thinking. Um, Corey is really level-headed. He's a really smart guy, um, and I never have to really pump him up or calm him down at all. He stays really level-headed the whole time, which is um, very hard to find in a player. It's a really special attribute. Um, as far as on the golf course, when we're making decisions, um, before every shot, we, we talk it through. Um, and I'd say 95% of the time, we, we agree on what club he's going to hit um, on the putts, which way it's breaking, things like that. Um, there's probably four or five times around um, that he really relies on me, and that's kind of my time to step up and just be confident and reassure him of, of what he's about to do. So that leads me right into my next question. Uh, what's your mindset like on the course? So the players themselves have the personal control over the shots and the outcome of that game and round. Uh, so without throwing anybody under the bus, is it frustrating when your player's having a bad day? Because that ends up costing you and your career. Yeah, it, it can be, but uh, you just got to get over it really quick. And the longer you work, uh, the longer you're out there, you just realize it's part of the game. You can't really... You can't think about it too much. I mean, if if I make a mistake, um, you know, we've got a five-minute walk until we hit our next shot, and by the time we get to the ball, that's I'm over it. Um, and I think Corey's the same way. He, he thinks exactly like that. So so do you feel responsible if there is a missed shot then? Because obviously, as Sean just mentioned, you're not the ones taking the shot, but you kind of help in that whole process of, you know, going through it. Um, so do you, you feel responsible um, and then you said in five minutes you have in between shots. How do you regain your composure if there is a bad shot? Like, what do you mentally go through or, you know, talk yourself through? Right. Yeah. Um, if he hits a bad shot, you know, every once in a while there's, you know, something different I could have said before we hit the shot or, you know, I might have said something wrong. And I kind of think about it for a second. And you really can't think about it too long. Um, there are times when I make mistakes. And when I make the mistakes, it's it's – you know, one of those four or five times around where he asked me what, what club I think he should hit or if he is really unsure about a putt, which way it's going to break. Um, and those are the times I mess up. And he's a great guy, and he he's never beats me up about it. Uh, I think he knows that I realize when I screw up and things like that. Um, and like I said, you just got to, you know, brush it off your shoulder. You got like five minutes until you get to the next shot. And by the time you get there, you got to be – focused on on that shot so yeah uh and going back to I think our last question you talked about how Corey is a very level-headed person and you said you've worked with other golfers before too so what was it like working with someone who needs more reassur or reassurance than than Corey um I don't like it <laughs> I like working for uh for a guy like Corey that's really level-headed we have really similar personalities um I'm not the kind of person that's, you know, going to give you pep talks and jack you up or whatever. You know what I mean? I can kind of calm you down a little bit if you're, if you're pissed off or whatever. But, um, yeah, I'm, me and Corey are a great match, and we've got, you know, really similar personalities. So I like working for him. I don't like working for somebody that I have to do a whole lot of, um, I guess, you know, pumping up or calming them down. So you said – Back in the other days, it used to be just show up in a parking lot and grab a bag and there were people looking for golfers and players. Is it kind of rare now to find a player of the stature of Corey uh, who's looking for a long-term caddy? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's really hard. A lot of it's um, it's also kind of networking, you know. Uh, we met on the Corn Ferry Tour, the one below the PGA Tour. So um, I've kind of told people if I was going to make a roadmap, what I would do is start on the Symmetra Tour, just like I did. Maybe go out there for a year, make your mistakes out there. And then from there, go over to the Corn Ferry Tour. And once you've worked out there for a year or so, you get to know all the guys and you, and you know the players that are moving up to the PGA Tour. And uh, a little bit of its, of its luck, too. Uh, so if you can get lucky and you know one of those guys that might ask you to go up to the PGA Tour. So um, it's, it takes time um, and a little bit of luck, too. So. It's funny you mentioned that because uh... – Every time you say back in the day, you'd sit in the parking lot and, you know, you'd wait for a golfer. All I can picture is uh, Happy Gilmore when the guy's cleaning the window and they're like, uh, you know, Mr. Gilmore, did you bring your caddy? And he's like, no. He's like, oh, I'll go find one. And he goes and gets, the, you know, the homeless guy that's washing the window. So that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I've done it a few times. Um, thankfully, when I started out, I had, you know, some connections that, that got me hooked up. But. Uh, when I first started out on the PGA Tour, I was like going to Monday qualifiers and trying to pick up a guy that just Monday qualified. So it was really just like a one week at a time kind of deal. So it's tough to break in out there for sure. Hey, well, you found uh, quite the Monday qualifier, that first win in the PGA Tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So you're on the road for long stretches of time competing in back-to-back -back tournaments. I'm sure you miss your family and friends during these times. How do you stay in touch with them and maintain healthy relationships from far away? Yeah, I've, um, you know, luckily nowadays, Corey, the, the max he'll play is like five weeks in a row. Um, it used to be, you know, where I was gone for there, the most I ever did was probably 10, 11, 12 weeks in a row, something like that. Um, but yeah, just FaceTime and phone calls, things like that, um, you know. Like I said, luckily now, the, mo the most Corey plays is five weeks in a row. And, and normally it's only, you know, two, three, four weeks. So thankfully now we're, I'm not gone as often. So. And you may have said it earlier, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but how long have you been with Corey now? Uh, this is our third year together. Third so. year, okay. Yeah. Um, if you could go back and give your younger self uh, a piece of advice on, you know, the path that you've taken, what would it be? Um, let's say if I was going to go back to when I was playing, uh, what I mostly tell people is it's really important to have a coach and somebody that you can see at least like once a week if possible. Um, that's what I would do going back to my playing days. If I was going to go back to when I first started caddying, my best piece of advice would just, uh, to realize that no matter what you do or wherever you go, there's always people watching. So just to be careful about anything you do. So, yeah. Did that uh, piece of advice come from an experience or something that you saw or? Yeah. Um, yeah, like my first year or two out on tour, you know, I was, I was still in college. So I wasn't really, I mean, I was focused on the golf, but at the same time, it's my first time traveling. I'm in a different city every week. So you're kind of going out and you're going to bars and things like that. Um, and at the time, I just didn't realize that, that players see that and they talk about it, too. So um, that's one of the things that I've learned a lot. So it just took me a year or two when I first started out. But, yeah, there's always somebody watching, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. I think no matter what sport you play in or what business you're in, that 
you always need to be careful of, you know, when you're out in the, the nightlife or just out in public in general, you really never know who's surrounding you or who could be watching you. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's something we learned playing hockey as well. They have a lot of these showcases where uh, there's a rink up in Minnesota that has eight sheets of ice. So there's eight games going on at all times and the scouts are just kind of going in and out and you never know. Maybe you had a hat trick the first period, but nobody was really there. And then the second period when they're watching, you have to play just as well because you never know when that chance is going to come and who's going to be watching. So I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, and I think Sam actually has a question for you. Uh, yeah, just a quick question, Kyle. Um, what's the, your favorite course that you've played on personally and then the favorite course that you've caddied on? Um, let's see. Favorite course I've played on is probably Oakmont. Uh, when I was in school there in Pittsburgh, I worked at Oakmont for five years. So I love going out there and playing it. Um, I've seen it like in every condition. I've seen it, you know, firm and fast like they have for U.S. Opens. I've seen it just absolutely soaked where balls are plugging and not going very far. Uh, favorite course I've caddied on now is Augusta, for sure. So, nice. Yeah. So, in your opinion, what's the hardest thing to work on as a, as a golfer, as a player? Uh, you think it's the short game, the drives? What's kind of the hardest part of the game, in your opinion? Yeah, it, uh, it varies by player. Um, Corey Strengths, uh, he's one of the best ball strikers in the world. I think last year he led the tour in greens and regulation and proximity to the hole. So he really doesn't – I mean, his, his iron play, his driving is unbelievable. Uh, he struggles with putting. So if I'm going to give you an answer for, you know, the toughest thing to improve on, I'll say putting, yeah, <laughs> short game. But he also, he also doesn't miss a whole lot of greens. So um, he doesn't need to work as much on his chipping. So, yeah, I'll go with putting for that one. When you – when you started getting into caddying, did you ever think that where you're at today was a possibility? And did you think that the path that you took would be, you know, the path that you have gone down or did you think that it would be different? Yeah. Um, honestly, when I first started caddying, I, I would, would have loved to caddy on the PGA tour, but I guess my goal then was just to caddy on the LPGA. Um, and it just happened to, you know, the piece just fell together and, um, yeah, I, you know, your goals change over time, I guess. And, uh, so at the beginning it was to be on the, on the LPGA tour. And then I got offered a job to go on the web.com tour. And when I got on the web.com tour, I didn't realize that you're that close to being on PGA tour. And it just took, it took me, um, took me, you know, a year, a year of being out there and realizing that you can really network and meet some guys and you know, all the guys are going to be playing on the tour. So, once I got out on the web, that's when um, my goals changed to the PGA Tour. And you mentioned your goals have changed. What would you say that your goals are now? And if you attain them, you know, what, what would they continue to be? Would it, you know, PGA Tour and then, you know, championships? Like, what is that? Right. What does that entail? Yeah, so now, I mean, I'm on the PGA Tour. So now my, I guess our goals each year just to, for Corey, it's to win. Um, get another win and then you get to the top 30 you play in the tour championship uh and then a bit another big thing uh on our minds right now is the olympics so right now he's he's in the top two canadian so if it if it happened right now we would be going so that's another goal that we have for this year or next year yeah that'd be an awesome experience for sure yeah 
Going back to your playing career, uh, what was the switch like from JUCO golf to NCAA golf? And how were you able to mentally get up to the next level? Yeah, the, um, the level of competition is obviously uh, much better at the Division One level. Um, playing junior college golf, I was like, I was always the best. I was one or two on our team. And then I got up to Robert Morris and I'm like struggling to make the starting five. So it was really tough. And um, it just took a couple of years. I mean, I worked really hard when I was there, but I just didn't have the golf game to, to, you know, really be a starter every single week. And that's, that's when I realized that uh, playing professionally wasn't going to work out. I think that's also kind of a, a cool message. And obviously as we talk about, our audience is typically younger people or, you know, people that want to be successful and go about it. But I think it's really cool that and not necessarily at a young age, but at some point during your, your time, you realize that what your initial goals were, weren't going to work out and you kind of changed paths um, and found what you love and what you knew you could be successful at. And I think that that's really hard to do to, to look yourself in the mirror and be realistic and say, you know, this maybe isn't for me or I may not be able to attain this goal. So I kind of give credit for you at, you know, a decently young age to be able to say that this isn't realistic and, you know, this is now what I'm going to do. Because I can tell you from being in hockey for so long, it's really hard to, you know, be like, maybe I can't do this or, you know, I think it takes a lot of self-reflection for sure. Right, yeah. I think we've seen with the Robert Morris hockey team too, um, three former players are now officials and two of them have ref games in the NHL. So I think another key message is there's always a way to do what you love. Like maybe if yeah, you can't exactly. be the player, there's still ways to be around the game and make sure that you have a happy life with what you love. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we're obviously not golf guys. I know me, Sean and Sam love to golf. Sam works on the golf course at like four in the morning. Um, but how is NCAA golf structured? You know, are there, like, are there different conferences? And then how, how do you go about getting to the national championship? I've watched a little bit on TV, but I'm not really, you know, I don't know it in depth. Yeah, it's um, to get to the national championship. I, I'm not sure if there, how many automatic bids, you know, it might be like the top 20, you know, maybe 15 or 20 teams are automatically in the, um, national championship I might be wrong about that but um when I was at Robert Morris we had to win the conference so we have the, the Northeast Conference so you win that and then you go to the NCAA regionals and at the regionals there's probably 20 teams and then out of those 20 the top five go to the national championship so I for sure there's that way but I'm not sure if there's any automatic bids so yeah okay. that's my best <laughs> And are those tournaments just based off of the combined lowest score? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's been a while since I've kept up with college golf. But when I was playing, uh, you, you would take five players to a tournament and then you would just throw out the highest score. So you take your low four scores um, for each round and you add them up and I guess the lowest score wins. Do you and Corey ever get to play with each other just like for fun? Uh, we do, but it's, it's very rare. Uh, we've maybe played together three or four times. Um, the, the tournament of champions is at Kapalua out in Hawaii and there's only 30 guys in that field. Um, so on Monday and Tuesday there, the caddies are allowed to play. So this year I got to play with them. Um, I've gone down to West Palm where he lives and I've played his golf course down there. So 
very rarely. I'd say once every, you know, three or four months we'll play together or something like that. That's awesome. That's cool though. Yeah. So we like to kind of wrap it up with sort of a less serious topic. Um, obviously golf is known for at least casual golf is known for going out and having a few drinks. Uh, what professional sport do you think would be the funniest to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to? Wow. Uh, probably hockey. <laughs> Pretty crazy seeing guys skating around drunk. Yeah. yeah right. that one. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, it was awesome to listen and hear your story and learn a, bit, a little bit more about what you do. Uh, we wish you nothing but success in the future and hopefully you guys can get a few more championships under your belt. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys.